Please remain standing for the reading of God's word from 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died. And his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent, messenger, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are uh, confronted once again by a text uh, that is addressing a very uh, scary topic, the topic of death. And I know that there are many here in this room who are experiencing the loss of loved ones or people who fear death, and I ask that today you would show us your son, and show us the comfort that you give us even as we face death. Please be with us now. Show us your son and change us by him. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning again to all of you. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is John Mata. John Mata, and I'm the pastoral intern here. And I have the privilege of preaching the final Sunday in the final chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, on the final day, the final week of the year. And so I think it's fitting, I think it's fitting that our topic for today, as we end our year, is the topic of death. Death, our year is coming to an end, and so it's important to think about the end of things. Each of us, every person in this room, will one day face death. There are no exceptions to that rule apart from the return of our Lord Jesus. So it's important that we take the proper time to think about death. 
to talk about death, to prepare for death, because death will come. Part of the purpose of today's passage is to force us to stop and to consider our own mortality. Right? Our story today does not mention Saul's death as an afterthought. It doesn't just say Saul died. It says, thus Saul died. So the author wants us to notice the manner of Saul's death, the tragedy of Saul's death, the brutality of his death, and the fact that death is universal. All of us will one day die. Each of us, myself, ourselves, our spouses, children, parents, will one day look death in its face. And so how can we prepare ourselves for that day? How can we die well? How can we approach uh, death with confidence and without fear? Well, before we answer that question, I hope to do a little bit of summary, if you would just bear with me. Uh, we've been in the book of 1 Samuel, I think for now three years, since before I was here. Uh, and as you will see, Saul's end, or the death of Saul, should come as no surprise. You may be surprised at how tragic his death is. You may even be surprised at how brutal his death is, or how final his death is. But if you have been here for the entire story of 1 Samuel, you will not be surprised at how inevitable his death is. And so let's go back to the beginning of the story. Uh, 1 Samuel began with the birth of Samuel, and Samuel was called to be both a prophet and a judge to rule over the people of Israel. And Samuel was not the only judge. There were other judges in Israel, some of whom were his sons. And these sons were not godly judges, and in response to the ungodly judges, the people of Israel became discontent with how things were being done. So much so that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, they demanded that a king would rule over them, and then the Lord, through Samuel, warns them. He tells them what this king would be like. He would be a king who would rule for his own sake, who would plunder for his own sake. And then after Samuel's warning, the, the text says this in 1 Samuel 8, 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So from the very beginning, Saul and Israel are in this situation in 1 Samuel 31 because of Israel's disobedience in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Disobedience got them here. And then again at the very beginning of Saul's reign in 1 Samuel 13, Saul disobediently makes a sacrifice to the Lord. 1 Samuel 13, 11 says this, What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you had not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. Verse 14 now your kingdom shall not continue. Those of us who know the ultimate end of death know that the ultimate end of death, sorry, of disobedience is death. This is how it's been since the very beginning. Since the Garden of Eden, Adam sinned, 
And now all of us die. Israel was disobedient in demanding a king. Saul was disobedient in sacrificing uh, to the Lord in the way that he did. And death is the natural consequence of disobedience. And then now in 1 Samuel 31, we're seeing the death of Saul and the death of his kingdom. Chapter 31, verse 6 again. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. Saul died, and Saul's kingdom has truly come to an end, and disobedience got them there. Yet death is inevitable for all of us. And so in light of this summary in our passage today, I want to make three observations about death in answer to the following question. How can I prepare to die well? How can I approach death with confidence and without fear? These are really the same question. Three observations. First, death is tragic, and so we must look to Jesus, who will raise the dead to life. Second, death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. And third, death is universal, and so we must prepare for it. Death is tragic, death is brutal, death is universal. Death is tragic, and so we must look to Jesus, who will raise us from the dead. There's really two aspects of the tragedy, sorry, one aspect I want to highlight in today's text that we see in this passage about the tragedy of death. Look down at verses 1 and 2. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua the sons of Saul. There's a group of people in this story who have outlived all the people mentioned by name in this this passage. They've outlived Saul. They've outlived Jonathan, the other sons of Saul. They even outlived the prophet Samuel. It's the Philistines. Since chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel have been in conflict with the Philistines. And then five verses into Saul's reign in chapter 13, he's already fighting Philistine armies. And then throughout his entire life, Saul is unable to defeat the Philistines. He's unable to defeat the Philistines. In fact, it seems as though he's actually lost the fight against the Philistines. And now Saul and the other men of Israel are losing the battle against the Philistines They've retreated, they choose to flee, and they're backed into a corner, and now Saul despairs. He despairs because the Philistines bring death with them. And death is God's enemy. And so the tragedy of death, which this passage highlights, is that at times it feels as though death has won. It feels as though the enemies of God have won. Right? And at times this can cause us to despair because of how things appear. This is what Saul is doing. Look down at verses 3 and 4. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But the armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. 
Saul saw that his death seemed inevitable, and so he resigned himself to it. Yet this death is tragic because Saul, had Saul been obedient to the Lord in 1 Samuel 13, things may have gone another way. Unless we be too hard on Saul, how many of us at times despair ourselves into sin? Have you ever said to yourself, well, things aren't going very well in my life right now, and so I'm just going to fill in the blank? Right? God hasn't given me the things I want, and so I'm going to disobey him in this certain particular way. It's very easy to think this way. It's hard to say, oh man, God hasn't given me the spouse that I want, or the house that I want, or the degree that I want. He hasn't given me the children that I want, but I trust him anyways. It's easy to say, God's, God hasn't given me this particular good gift that I want, and so I'm going to take it on my own terms. I'm going to bend the rules a bit. The tragedy of death is that God's, it is God's enemy, and even good things, let alone bad things, can lead us to death when we live life on our own terms. And so ask yourself, what is that for you? Is there something that you have been waiting for for so long that you are tempted to take things into your own hands, to do it your own way? Right? Taking things into his own hands is not a new thing for, for Saul. In 1 Samuel 13, the armies of Israel, they seem to be waning. And then Saul takes things into his own hands, and now here he is again, repeating the same mistake, perpetuating the same pattern, the same problem, and it ultimately leads to his death. And so how do we break the tragic cycle which leads to death? How do, we, how do we, especially when it is inevitable, escape the tragedy of death? Well, on the one hand, you don't. You don't escape death because you can't escape death. Whatever we say about it, and 1 Samuel 31, we can't say it's not fair. God said, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. And so this is part of the curse in Genesis 3 that God placed on all of humanity because of our sin. Death is the just consequence of sin. On the other hand, the only way to escape death is through the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That really is the option, the tragic inevitability of death or trusting that Jesus will one day raise you from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 says this in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians is that if there's no resurrection from the dead, if Jesus hasn't been raised, that's it. You're done. It's over. You are dead in your sins. The only hope we have is that Christ himself was risen from the dead. Our only hope to escape death is to believe in the promise of the gospel that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he died for our sake, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and he will one day come to judge the living and the dead. Death is tragic, and so we must look to Jesus who will raise the dead to life. The second observation I have about death is that death is brutal, 
And so we must find hope outside of death. This really is a brutal passage. Look down at verses 8 through 10. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers through the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of, of Beth Shan. This really is a brutal scene. Saul has taken his own life. His sons are dead. His servants have taken their own lives. And then the Philistines come and they cut off his head. They put his armor in the temple of a false god and they fasten his body and the body of his, of his sons to the uh, walls of their city. All while announcing the good news of Saul's death. Several months ago, I was speaking with a friend uh, who would describe himself as an atheist, or he would say he doesn't believe in life after death. And he said to me, you know, I believe that one day I will die, and my body will go into the dirt, and then there will be nothing. It will be void. And then he said uh, something to me that I thought was interesting. He said, and that terrifies me. And I appreciated his honesty, because a lot of people in Bellingham will say things like, when I die, I will return to the earth and enjoy everlasting union with nature. Or, humans are just stardust. Or, when I die, when I die, I will grow into a tree or something like that. No, fear of death is the natural human response to the reality of and the brutality of death. Death is brutal, and so we must find hope outside of death. And so ask yourself, do you fear death? Do you fear death? If you fear death, you ought to admit that you fear it. And then let me read for you from Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So the author of Hebrews seems to think that in some sense we are subject to lifelong slavery to sin because of our fear of death. Which is an odd thing to think about. But I was thinking, I turned 30 in August. And they say that the um, midlife crisis is beginning younger and younger. And now it's in your mid-30s. Um, I think I had it at 30. Um, but think about the midlife crisis, right? Someone who is in their 40s or their 50s suddenly realizes, oh my goodness, my life is half over, and I haven't done half the things I hoped I would do. And so what do we do? Buy a Mustang or a boat, get a new girlfriend or some plastic surgery, but Mustangs crash, boats sink, girlfriends get old, and skin wrinkles. You must find lasting hope from outside of death. And so what is that lasting hope? I'll read from Hebrews 2 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
Do you fear death? Are you afraid to die? The solution to the fear of death is to know the one who through the power of death took away the sting of death. Right? Have you ever traveled through a country where you don't know the local language? Think about how much easier it is to travel when you know someone who knows the area or knows the language. Jesus knows the language of death because he has actually gone before all of us and experienced death on our behalf. And he has the wisdom, the power, and the authority to guide us through death if we would but trust in him. And so do you trust in Jesus? Do you have hope apart from death? Death is brutal. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Do you have hope in Jesus who can free you from the power of death? My third observation about death is that death is universal. Death is universal, and so we must prepare for it. Look down at verses 11 through 13 with me. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the walls from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Death is universal. And some of you know the, the line from the musical Hamilton, right? Death doesn't discriminate between the sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes. Right? Many of us are not surprised by the death of Saul, right? Saul deliberately and stubbornly refused to repent of his sins, and so his death should be no surprise. But what about Jonathan? Right? Jonathan seemed like a righteous man. He cared deeply for David. He honored his father. Why Jonathan? Because death is universal. Each of us will die. And so it's important that we begin to prepare for it today. You do not know when your death will come. Uh, I had a friend uh, named Mo when I, when I was about 18. We used to hang out after class. And we would hang out maybe once or twice a week. And then one day when I hadn't seen him for at least a month because it was summer, uh, it was summertime, I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see a post uh, made by his sister on his behalf. And Mo had died because he had some sort of heart problem. I don't know if he was aware of it, but his death was sudden for me. It was certainly sudden for his family. Right? He died before he was 23. And he didn't have the luxury of a long life to figure out what he believed about God. And you don't know that you will either. So if I could leave you with one thing, it would be to prepare for death today. To prepare for death today. And how do we prepare for death? There's a lot of good things you could do. You could make sure you're at peace with your neighbor. You could make sure that uh, you're at peace with your loved ones. That if you die, they won't have a ton of debt. Uh, but more than that, you have to make peace with God. Your family and your money will not stand with you when you are standing before God on Judgment Day. And so how can we prepare for death? How can we stand before God with confidence and without any fear? The only way that you will stand before God with confidence and without any fear on Judgment Day is to know that the one who through death defeated death and the one who wields the power of death. You need to know Jesus. 
And for some of us, it may seem cliche. I hope not, but it may be. But friends, death is tragic. It's brutal. It's universal. And so we need to look to the one who will raise us from the dead. We need hope outside of death, and we need to prepare for it today. And this is the gospel message in contrast with the Philistine gospel, right? The Philistine gospel is that they brought death with them. But Jesus Christ descended from heaven, and he took on flesh. That's Christmas. And then he was murdered on a wooden cross, and he rose again, thus defeating death. And after ascending into heaven, he now sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is the message of the gospel, and it is the only thing which can bring peace to your soul. And so ask yourself, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, death is a thing which um, all of us are aware of at various times in our life. We think about death, and so I ask that you would prepare us today for death. Help us to know that our only way to find peace with God is through your son Jesus who came to earth for our sake and died for our sake. Pray that as we enter into this new year, we would uh, first and foremost resolve to know you and to know your son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.